The scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, again we come as we do on these Lord's Day Sundays uh, to consider the scripture. Father, you've made us to be Bible reading, Bible believing, hopefully living people. And so we pray now that as we come to the scripture that you'll help us to listen, to hear, to understand, to believe, to live. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Daniel in chapter 9. Daniel in chapter 9. Actually, Daniel in chapter 8. I want to begin with the last verse of Daniel chapter 8 and then read through Daniel chapter 9, the whole chapter there. Um, Daniel 8 happens at the end of the vision that we considered last Sunday. There's probably a 10-year gap in terms of between chapter 8 and 9, but there's still, I think, a certain continuity that I want to see there, and then I'll read through this. I'm also reading out of the New International Version this morning. I usually read out of the English Standard Version, but uh, this is the NIV. I'm reading out of it because I like it how it, how it reads better. Then Daniel chapter 9 in the ESV and, uh, and all of that. What I didn't realize is that when I changed from the, ES, the NIV to the ESV, I also went to a larger print. So God will help me. Uh, this is the word of God. Listen, Daniel 8 verse 27. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love and obey his commandments, commands. We've sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you're righteous, but this day we're covered with shame the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and, and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord, our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it was written in the law of Moses, all disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, 
who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We've sinned and we've done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger from your wrath and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eye and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench built in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for the one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, what I want to do today, hopefully, is encourage us to pray. That's what Daniel was doing as we find him. He's praying. But I want to back up just a bit to put this in some context in Daniel's life because his life context in somewhat is our life context. We've been talking about he's living in Babylon in excellent and in, 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 in exile. He wants to be in Jerusalem in the very presence, if you will, of God in that sense. He's in the presence of God. But in Jerusalem where uh, God's holy city, if you will, with the people of God restored and all of that, be worshiping with the people of God. That's what he desires uh, to live so much. So it's fascinating that this little expression, I don't know if you caught it as I was reading it, it's towards the end. But this little expression that the answer to his prayer came about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, the reason that that is so significant is that Daniel hasn't smelled an evening sacrifice in six decades. He hasn't been in. He's been in Babylon all these 
years, all these decades, we find him in the first year of King Darius, having lived probably in Babylon around 60 to 65 years. And there hasn't been a temple, there hasn't been any sacrifice, but in Daniel's mind, he still keeps time as if he lived in Jerusalem. You see, that's the power of liturgy. That's the power of living by God's time. And so he still understands himself like that. So that's how we're to be in it, but not of it, right? Still his heart is in Jerusalem. Our hearts are in the kingdom of God. And we keep time. We'll start our time for this year in a few weeks, the first Sunday of Advent. I hope when December hits or the first Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving, usually that you're thinking Christmas, you're thinking Advent. You're not thinking just December, but you're not thinking snow. You're not thinking, you're thinking Advent. How can we prepare? How can we think about the incarnation? And then after that, you're, you're thinking, well, you've got to be a good Episcopalian to be thinking about Epiphany. But you could be thinking about Epiphany. You could be thinking about Lent. You could be thinking about Holy Week. You think, that's how our, our year progresses together as a worshiping church, you see. And, and for Daniel, it was this evening sacrifice. So he's still thinking like he lives. In, that's where his longing is, to live in Jerusalem. You might remember at the end of the last Vision. It was a, a vision that it was a bit more specific than we've, we had in, the, in, in chapter 7, which was big picture vision of taking away the veil to see the spiritual battle that's going on in the midst of what we see. But, but, but Daniel saw some of that as well. But, but, but he realized that even after they would be restored back to Jerusalem and temple rebuilt and all that, because that was assumed in chapter 8 that that had happened, that still there would be trouble, still the people would sin, still the temple would be, would be desecrated in some sense, still it would have to be re-consecrated uh, 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 and all of that. So, so just getting back, he would begin to realize, just getting back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple wasn't going to be it. It wasn't going to be the consummation of all things. That still there would be trouble sometime down the road. Still the, the temple would be desecrated. Still would have to be reconsecrated. Still the people would be in sin and all of that. And so, so he realized all of that, you see. And, and he gets to the end of that and he's sick. What did it say? He was exhausted and lay ill for several days after this vision that came in chapter 8 uh, because he realized it wasn't going to be finished, even if they were, after they got back. And it just left him laying around. And he, was a, he said he was appalled, that he was shocked by the vision. It was beyond understanding, like, all right, I get it. I get what you're saying. I understand that. But I don't understand why that's not the end yet. Why, why can't this be over? Why can't that be the consummation of all things? And we live and rule and reign in Jerusalem. Why, why, why do we have to go through this again? And, and there he was. And what fascinates me is after all of that, do you know what Daniel did? He went to work. It said... Then I got up and went about the king's business. He went to work. And you go, well, why did he do that? Because well, he's human. Because <laughs> he's a man. That's what we do. We're created in the image of God. We're created to work. Now, there are times when we can't work and all of that. But, but, but by and large, human beings, we're created to work. We're created to serve. That's what we do in the image of God. And, and, and it was his duty, if you will. We don't like that word. We want to think that our work is our passion. And we all know that many days our work is our duty. And we, we get, but there's a security in the midst of that. 
there's a security. And what do we do? Well, I get up and I go to work. Some work in homes, some work in, uh, in the marketplace, and so forth and so on. But, 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 but there is that, you see, about being human. And, and, and what I love about that almost seemingly casual expression is that, is that that occupied his time. Now realize, there's 10 years between verse 27 of chapter 8 and verse 1 of chapter 9. And as far as we know, nothing cool happened in Daniel's life. We don't have any visions during that time. We don't have any, any, any interpretations of dreams during that time. Nobody get thrown into a furnace, no lions. None of that uh, happened during this time. So over 10 years between that and that, Daniel's working. That's what his life is going on. And he's working for a skunk. He's working for Belshazzar. He's, he's not the best king to work for. He's a king that will blaspheme God by toasting his gods with the goblets that came from the temple. He'll forget about Daniel. Daniel will be marginalized. He won't even remember Daniel uh, uh, in 10 years. Uh, and, 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 and yet he keeps working. And there's a sense in which his work, by his work, is the way that Daniel loves his neighbor. His work is even a way through which he loves his enemies. He's serving a king in a country that has captured his people and exiled them. He's serving a king in a country where they've tried to convert him to Babylonian, where they've changed his name, uh, educated him in the philosophy and the culture of Babylon, tried to get him to eat the king's food and all of that and be beholding to the king and, and, in, and in, in covenant with the king and all of that. He refused and God was gracious there, you know. But, but, but he see, we see the intention of Babylon in Daniel's life. It wasn't a good intention. But still, he served them. He loved his enemies. That's what we do in the kingdom of God. We love even our enemies. He, he, he served those who would throw his friends into a fiery furnace. All, later, he would get thrown into a lion's den, even after having served them faithfully all those decades. And he did it because, you see, uh, in the image of God, we work. In the image of God, we love our neighbor. In the image of God, we love our enemies. Even in the midst of all of that, you see. And so Daniel's been working for decades. Most pointedly now, he's been working for a decade since the last vision uh, with nothing cool happening. And he's just been Daniel, the guy in the king's court, as far as we know. I don't know if that feels like home to you, but that feels like home to me. Here we are. What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, I'm going to work. That's what we do. No matter almost what happens Today, see, I mean, a great revival could break out in Lawrence right now and the whole city come to faith, right? And you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Believing in Jesus, everybody's going to get up and go to work. I mean, that's what we do, right? <laughs> that's the way life is. And so we should expect that. But then he prays, you see, again, so he's working and praying. But before he prays, he reads the Bible. And, you know, I just sort of as I read this over, whenever I read it over a few weeks ago, started taking notes and so forth and so on. I just wrote, what a life. You work, you read the Bible, and you pray. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Now, the other thing that wasn't here that he longed for that we have, that kind of completes that, is he longed to worship with the people of God. And so if I, if I had to lay out my life, what would it be? I work, I read the Bible, I pray, I worship. <laughs> that's, pretty much, that's pretty much it. If I had to give a job description of who I am in terms of my activities, uh, that, that pretty much does it. Everything else kind of gets pieced in 
among all of those other things. And so here's Daniel. He, he, reads, he reads the Bible. Uh, that's, what he, that's what he does. And what he's been reading is, um, is Jeremiah. And he's been reading about what Jeremiah said about their time in Babylon. For instance, in Jeremiah and uh, chapter 25, a uh, whole chapter really. But uh, um, let me pick up in verse, um, verse 7. Um, uh, God says, but you did not listen to me. And you have provoked me with what your hands have made and you've brought harm to yourself. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn. And then everlasting ruin, I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and, and, and the lights of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I'll make it desolate however, uh, forever. I will bring upon the land... Uh, all the things that I've spoken against it, all that are written in the book of, and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations, they themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So, so, so Daniel's reading this, you know, it's his sort of, you know, read the Bible through a year, uh, uh, you know, through in a year, day, and he's in Jeremiah. And so he's checking the box. He goes, whoa. That's been going on here. The Babylonians have been defeated. Medes and Persians have come in. And, and, and we've been here, let me count it, pretty close. We're coming on this sort of 70-year deal. And so I bet that it's almost, almost over. Then in chapter 29, if he continued to read, I don't know if he did, but in verse, in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete, completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So all of that uh, he reads and, and it incites him to pray. Now, I wonder about that. I wonder why did it incite him to pray? Why didn't he just say, well, it's going to happen. And so I'll just wait. Or... It's going to happen, so I'll tell everybody it's going to happen, and we'll all wait together. That would be a great thing, you see. Why doesn't he just declare it? Why does it cause him to pray? Well, I think this, you see. Uh, the promise of, of God in Scripture, and as we come to know the will of God in Scripture, is never given to us to keep us from praying, but actually to cause us to pray. You see, as we read through the Scripture, what should be taking place is that our hearts, minds, hearts, affections, are being meshed with the desires, the heart of God. Uh, we begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We begin to desire that which he desires. We begin to desire, come to know that which pleases him and desire that to, to come to pass. 
And so you see, as we're reading through the scripture, this is, should be happening in us. And when it's happening in us, it creates in us a longing to see that which God has promised. And we can't help but talk to him about it. It's sort of like when our kids were little, we would, uh, we learned not to do this, but we would sometimes say, next Saturday, let me say it on a Monday, next Saturday, we're going to the zoo, right? Now, the reason we stopped telling them that is because once they learned that we're going to the zoo, that's all they talked about was going to the zoo. Now, they could have just said, well, we're going to go to the zoo. Dad said it, Mom said it, we're going to do it, we'll just wait. But there was something in them that resonated, and they said, I can't wait to go to the zoo. Tell, let's talk about the zoo. Let's plan. We packed lunches on Monday to go to the zoo on Saturday because they were ready to go to the zoo. They got their backpacks out, all that sort of thing, because they wanted to go to the zoo. And That's the way, you see, reading the Bible is supposed to work in our lives, that we read about these things, we read the promises of God, we read what he said, and we're supposed to, to resonate with that in such a way, desire it in such a way, that, that we can't stop talking about it with him and say, bring this to pass. The kids would say, do we have to wait till Saturday? It's, let's go one Wednesday, right? Because it's going to be so great to be at the zoo, so let's move it up. And so when we read the scripture, you see, and he talks about making us holy, that should create in us a desire to be holy. And, and we should then say, God, help make me holy. You know, let's, let's get on with this. Let's, let's get to this. I can't not talk to you about it. You see, if we're praying but not reading the Bible, then we have no assurance that what we're praying about or for is actually what is on the heart of God. And so we, we should have really no real confidence when we're praying and not reading the Bible, right? But when we're praying, when we're, when we're reading the Bible, it should cause us to pray. If it doesn't cause us to pray, then my suspicion is we're not really reading it. I mean, we're reading it, we pass a multiple choice test at the end. We might even be able to teach a Sunday school class about it, to all the facts, the applications, all that sort of thing. But it hasn't really dug in yet to us. Because you see, when we read about what God desires for us, for instance, we shouldn't just skip to go and do it without praying because that's presumptuous that I can actually do what he commands without receiving his strength. And, and, or if I hear from him what he desires for me, to love and to be just and to be merciful and to be compassionate and to be generous and to be forgiving... If I think I can do that without his strength, then I probably don't understand what he means by those words. And so when I read that I'm to love someone, it should cause me first to go to my knees and say, God, I don't think I can do that. Not the way you mean it. I mean, I can love them the way I mean it and the way maybe even they mean it, but I don't think I can do I know, I know you, God. And I know what you mean by love. And I know what you mean by forgiveness. And I know what you mean by compassion. And I know what you mean by mercy. And I know what you mean by justice. And, you know, your definitions are a bit tight. So if you want me to do that, you got to help me. And so if I just read these words and I just skip to do it, somehow I've missed the other side of this, of this conversation. You know, how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. So we read his word. How do we speak to him? Well, we speak to him by praying. When they ask Jesus... To teach them to pray, he said, say this. In other words, praying is our talking 
to God responding to him verbally, if you will. Yeah, and and so, so, so if we don't do that, we haven't really completed the whole interaction here with God. He speaks to us by his word. And when I speak back to him in prayer, it isn't to change his word, because that's not going to change, but it's to respond to it. So if I read of the wisdom of God, God, thank you for your wisdom. Enable me to know your wisdom. Enable me to be wise. When I hear of the goodness of God, 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 I read of your goodness. Thank you for being good. Now, enable me to know your goodness and help me then to be good as you are good. You see? So Bible reading, if it doesn't lead me to prayer, I must realize that I didn't really read, or at least how... God intends us to read. I didn't interact. I didn't respond. Uh, I just sort of put it back down and checked it off my box. So, so Daniel's praying, you see, because of this. And, and what happens really is that he, he comes to realize uh, what has been true. My suspicion is he knew this. Some of his visions, the visions he received, uh, made mention of these kinds of things. But, but he knew the Bible. You know, he doesn't only uh, uh, cite Jeremiah here. You can tell that Daniel is is thoroughly acquainted with the books of Moses, for instance. He he knows the history of his people. He he knows the Pentateuch. uh, And I suspect the rest of the scripture that was available to him at that time uh, as well. Uh, And because he prays, you see, what I would say, he prays. Can I use this word? I think I made it up because my spell checker didn't like it. Uh, but it sounds like a good word to me. Uh, he, he prayed covenantally, right? He prayed as one who is in the covenant with God. He approaches God on the basis of the covenant, the promise, the agreement, the revelation that God had given to his, to his people. And he begins, again, I would say very covenantally, because in verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God. Now, Lord there in the NIV, and I think in the ESV as well, is all caps, which means it's Yahweh. That's the Hebrew there that's being translated. And when that word is used, it's in caps generally to distinguish from other names, right names of God, but other names of God. But, but when we speak of Yahweh, we, it reminds us of when uh, God emphasized that name. It was, it was when Moses was at the bush. And the bush was burning, but not really. And uh, God was speaking to him. And Moses said, who should I say has sent me? And God said, Yahweh. God says, tell them I am has sent me. And, you know, you could have a funny skit here. I think Moses could say who? And God would say, I am. Moses would say, I know, but who? And he was, well, I am. I, I know. Uh, but I am, which means I am. You know, I've always been. I always will be. And, and, and so that was the name given. And that was, that was the, if you will, the, the special name, the name that the people of God who were his in covenant with him, these were the people that God had redeemed, God had rescued. And he said, this is my name, use this. And so he, he speaks and he, very personally, uh, my God, and he says, and he confessed. So his first covenantal expression, knowing being in covenant with God, he says, oh Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. And so he begins right there. God, we're in covenant with you. We know you. We know you. You, you, You've given commands to us that we should live by. And in fact, if we don't, it breaks our side of this covenant. And and so, God, 
we've broken it. And, and that's why we're where we are. We know that. At least Daniel did. He, he knew that in this covenant there were blessings and curses. Verse, middle of verse 11. <clears throat> he says, Therefore the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against you. You remember that in Deuteronomy, we won't read it, but in Deuteronomy in various passages, chapter 28, for instance, especially towards the middle and the end, at the beginning it says, if, God says, if, if, you, if you're faithful to me, if you love me, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you don't, there'll be curses that come. The covenant will have been broken. And the curses that will come will be extensive, but sort of the, the final one is that other nations will come against you and destroy your temple and destroy the city and exile you, take you out of this place and put you in a foreign land. And, and that would, should have been the most frightening thing to an Israelite that's, that could ever be, uh, that, that there's no temple, thus no sacrifice, thus no way to be made right with God, no presence of God among us. You'll lose the wonderful covenantal blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You'll, you'll miss that that, 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 that. that favor of God, that grace of God won't be upon you. You'll be in another nation. You'll be cursed. You'll be cut off. All of that. I mean, that's, that's worse than death, you see. And, 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 and then God says, but you hear my word and you repent and you return then I'll restore rebuild the temple rebuild the city bring you back and so that Moses um, had, had spoken all of that and, 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 and Daniel knew all of that so he's praying on the basis of this truth of God if he didn't know that if he didn't know the word of God he wouldn't know how to pray at this particular point in time. But he knew all of that. So he said, Therefore the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us uh, because we've sinned. You fulfilled the word spoken against us and against the rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. He said, This is like the worst thing ever that a God would take his people, that the true and living God, Take his people and just and exile them and destroy their their city. And he said, just as all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. You see, when Daniel was reading Jeremiah in Jeremiah twenty nine, the promise is there is all right, turn from your wicked ways, seek me. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And Daniel is putting all this together. It's coming to the end of the 70 years. God's going to restore us. But we're not seeking him. Even though we've been in exile, all that you think we would have turned way before now. You think we'd have gotten it way before now. We think we'd have been distressed way before now that we weren't back in Jerusalem. But, but, but everybody's just going about their business and nobody's seeking you. So Daniel takes it upon himself to intercede for the whole group. And what's fascinating here is that when Daniel confesses the sins of the people, he doesn't say they and theirs. He says, ours. 
He includes himself in the midst of this. Here's faithful Daniel. And I don't think he's being just sort of, you know, like the royal we here. I, I, think, I think he's really getting it. I think he really identifies with the sin of the people. He's honest about this and, and he intercedes on their behalf. He stands before God on their behalf and he seeks the Lord sincerely and earnestly. He seeks him, you see, with, uh, with all, his, all his heart. But you know what? really moves Daniel, I think, the most isn't the fact that the people of Judah in Babylon are miserable. I think what moves him the most is the fact that they have dishonored the name of God. When he appeals to the Lord, He appeals, yes, that God would restore them and all of that. But notice verse 15. He says, Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who had made for yourself a name that endures to this day. You see, when when God does what he does, he does what he does for the sake of his own name. You know this. I mean, we've been created in the image of God. Which means we've been created to reflect him. We've been ref- created to glorify him. Our, 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 our confessional standard, if you will, for our denomination for Presbyterian types for, for centuries has been the Westminster Confession of Faith. And almost everybody, even non-Presbyterians, know the first question and answer to the Westminster Shorter Confession, uh, uh, Shorter Catechism. You know, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the chief purpose of human beings? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, what's our purpose? Why do we exist? We exist to reflect God, to glorify him. Now, God's existence is also to glorify himself. And that's a good thing. It isn't an egotistical thing of God. It would be egotistical if I lived to glorify myself because I'm not all that glorious. You know? Uh, but God is glorious. He really is. And everything should reflect Him. I mean, if it's going to be glorious, if it's going to be the best that it can be, it should glorify, it should reflect Him. Uh, you know, if you had to choose between my wisdom and God's wisdom... Whose wisdom should be chosen? If God had to choose between his wisdom and my wisdom, whose wisdom should God choose? His, obviously. His power, his strength, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, everything about him. You see. And so when we read in the scripture, like we did from Psalm 46, where God says, be still and know that I'm God. What enables us to be still? You know, that's a, that's a, a violent passage. I'm not going to be afraid, even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. All right? I don't want to be there when that happens. That'll be awfully scary. The mountains fall into the heart of the sea. When the, when the seas roar and foam and all of that, you see. So the psalmist is saying, even when everything that you count on is falling apart... You can be still. And so you say, how can I be still? 
Well, God says, I will be exalted. I'll be seen. I'll be manifest. I'll be lifted up. I'll be glorified. I will be exalted among the nations. He says, don't worry. I'm going to show you myself. And you go, okay. God, if you have this in your hand, if you've got this under control, if, if you are going to exalt yourself in the midst of this, I know that that would be great ultimately. And so I can rest. I can be still. And so when, when God takes the Israelites out of Egypt and he brings them into the promised land, he's making a name for himself. He's glorifying himself. He's saying, not egotistically, he's saying, look who I am. Look at what I can do. Look at the love that I have for a group of people that were enslaved and hopeless and helpless and I brought them out only because I had made a promise to a, 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 an idol worshiper before I met him, that is Abraham. I did all of this, you see, and I made a name for myself. And look what's happened in the midst of all of that. They've besmirched, if I could use that old word, they've besmirched the name of God by their sin. Do you know we do that? And so, so God said, I'll forgive them and that will show how great I am. And so now Daniel comes and he says, please do that. Show how great you are. Reestablish the fame of your name, the greatness of your name. Reestablish it, God, by reestablishing us in Jerusalem, us in your holy temple, do that. That's the heart, that's the guts of his prayer, you see. And I look at my own life and I say, why do I pray? What sparks me really to pray? Well, most often, it's inconvenience. Most often, it's things that inconvenient me. I need a parking place and I'm running late. And I'm supposed to meet someone downtown and I, I either, you know, I don't want them to think badly of me. So I say, God, find me a parking place or, or I'm sick. You know, I don't feel well. I don't like not to feel well. That's what my wife tells me. And she doesn't like it when I don't feel well because, well, you can probably play that out. And uh, I don't like my routine to be, to be changed. I, I don't like, it's just as annoying to me. And so I pray, God, heal me so I can get on with what I want to do. Right? I mean, I, that's, I hate to admit that, but much of it's my... Or I pray Sunday mornings. I, I have a tendency to, to pray. And, and really what's underlying my prayer is at the end of the day, you'll like me. <laughs> and so I have to pray that, that though you'll like God at the end of the day, no matter what you think about me. And uh, that's a transformation. And so you see, why do I pray? I want to get to the place where I pray when the name of God is dishonored. I pray for the honor of God, that that's what drives me in my own life. God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Please forgive my sin because I know by it I've dishonored you. But, but now, God, please forgive me so that people will see that you're a forgiving God. I, I want that in my life. God, give me wisdom. Not so that people think I'm wise, but people go, so that people know that you're wise. So, so make sure they know it's your wisdom, not mine, so that you can be honored and glorified, you see. 
God, God, enable me to do that which is good. Not so that people will think I'm good, but people will know that you're great and you can work in a skunk like me and even cause goodness to happen in the midst of this. So God, glorify yourself in the midst of this. When our nation is, 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 is in the midst of all the sins that nations are in the midst of. And I read about it in the paper. Uh, I, I want to be able to pray, not because this stuff just makes me angry, not just because, because, because the way certain social norms may be going may inconvenience me or expose me in certain ways, but, but I want to be able to pray, God, this besmirches your name. This dishonors your name. Human beings shouldn't live like this. So, so Father, forgive us and redeem us and save us and help us in the midst of this. And even in the midst of this, help me love my enemies. So that people won't say Bill's a great guy because he loves his enemies, but he must have a great God who enables him to love his enemies. You see, that's what I want to get to. And that's where I think Daniel was very honestly so he could appeal to God and not be manipulative, which, of course, is hilarious to think you can manipulate God. But, but, but not just let's try to butter up God. You know, I have an expression that God is unbutterupable. That takes like four hyphens to get through your spell check. But, uh, uh, but he's unbutterupable. You, you can't butter him up, if you will. You, 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 you can't do that. You can't manipulate God. But Daniel's not doing that. He's very honestly saying, God, I love your name. And I'm, I'm called by your name. We're called by your name. And here we are in exile. The city that bears your name is desolate. The temple that bears your name and is to, to, to enjoy your presence is empty and, and destroyed. And so, God, for the sake of your name, please forgive us. For the sake of your name, please restore us. Even Jesus said, you remember, he, says, he said, ask me anything so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. You see? Make your name holy. Make people revere your name. Through us. Through my life. Through the life of our church. Through the, make, your, make people love the name of Jesus, you see. And see it and say, that's a good name. And that's a good God. Finally, this, unfortunately, I only have like two minutes. This prayer is immediately answered. I mean, this prayer is immediately answered. Uh, Gabriel, who comes, says, um, uh, well, Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and making requests to the Lord, uh, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you for your highly esteemed. Therefore, uh, consider the message and understand the vision. So, so he, God answers his prayer immediately. And I, I have to be honest, I don't, I don't know how all this works. You know, I don't, this whole prayer is a mystery to me. Uh, it's fascinating that God wants, you know, my opinion on anything. Uh, but it's a way that we rule and reign with him. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is 100% applicable. That as soon as we pray, the answer is sent. Uh, it doesn't seem that way. Uh, so I, I don't understand all of that. But I know in this case, 
It, it was. And, and so he brings to him the answer to his prayer. Now, it's a bit complicated, and there's at least, I think, four reasonable views of the, the, this vision that he gets. And they all track different ways, and I could do that to you, but I'm not, uh, which is why I only have a few minutes. But listen, just at least to the first part, verse 24. He says, 70 sevens, and if you have an ESV or other version, 70 weeks. It's 70 sevens is the literal translation. Most people think the 70 weeks are weeks of years, so it's 490 years. But we don't know if it's literal because it's hard to make the calculation to make sense in almost any calculation. And uh, although you can fudge it a bit and make some calculations. Or um, uh, whether it's figurative, uh, whatever. Go with me on the whatever. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city. Listen what's going to happen. And this is the whole time period, the seventy-sevens. It seems to be like the time period from around then until the end. And he says, he says, seventy-sevens are decreed for your uh, people in your holy city to finish transgression. No more transgressions. Uh, to put an end to sin and atone for wickedness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy, which means it's either fulfilled or it means that it's authenticated, one of the two. And to anoint the most holy. Now, I know this is a good Sunday school question and you can give me the good Sunday school answer. Who do you think that's about? <laughs> Who's the one who can bring that, you see? So no matter what else this means, all the timing and whether the Antichrist is in here or whether he's not, or whether it's a tribulation is here, or whether it's not, or whether it's in the middle or the end of the beginning, or whether it's however you want to lay this out, or whether it's the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD that's being talked about here, whatever that is, we know that when the whole deal's done, It'll be completed. You see, what was, what was confusing to Daniel is he thought, okay, when we get back, as soon as the 70 years are over, that, it'll, that'll be it. We'll be back in Jerusalem. Temple will be rebuilt. All will be well. And God is saying, sorry. It's like 77s, whatever that means. So it's longer than the 70 years, and it's not going to happen when you first get back. And the temple gets rebuilt. It's going to be bigger than that. Now, if he would have kept reading to chapter 31, he would have read of the new covenant that was going to come in this Messiah where God would write his law upon people's hearts, where he would be their God and they would be his people, where everybody would know the Lord in that setting. All those people who had the law written on their hearts, all the people that, that God was their God, all would know him. They wouldn't even need anyone to teach them. They would simply know it because it was written upon their hearts. They knew it. And God would forgive their sins, remember their iniquities no more. And if I'm Daniel, I go, okay, maybe he knew more of the 77s and all that, what that meant. But as I read that, I go, whew. I can be still because in Jesus, God is and will be exalted. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us, that you would forgive us our sins. Father, I suppose if 
I had to confess them all. It would be a long, long day. Father, even when I'm doing well, I realize what are my motives really. And at best mix, I had mixed, I admit. And, and so, God, I long for the day when the transgression will be no more. I, I give you thanks for atoned for sin. But yet I look forward to the day when sin will be not only forgiven, but also eradicated from the face of the earth and from my own life and our lives who long for that day. And so I, I pray, God, that, that you'll bring that day about. Unlike Daniel, God, we, we know that when we pray for that day to come, for Jesus to return, we know what that means. We know that is it. We know that is the consummation. We know that that, that is the complete and restoration. We know that is the new heavens and the new earth. And we know his ruling and reigning in us with him. We know all that final. And, and so, God, we anticipate, we look forward to that day. Confessing, I don't understand all that's going to happen even between now and then. But trusting that on that day when you exalt yourself through Jesus' return, that I can be still. Now by faith, then for all eternity. And so, Father, we pray for us as a church that for the sake of your name, God, cause us to walk with you to obey you, to love you, to honor you, to exalt you. Father, I pray that you would keep us as a church from sin and you would enable us to live in love in such a way amongst each other and in our community that people would see and say they have a great God. Work in us all that is necessary to bring that about, God. And Father, for those who are suffering on this day in various ways, be it physically, relationally, economically, psychologically, emotionally, and whatever way, I pray that you would be gracious and that you'd work in each of us who suffers to honor your name by trusting and following after you. Help us, I pray. And for those who are experiencing what by any measure seem to be the great benefits and blessings and joys of life, I pray that we would be quick to give you thanks. I exalt your name together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. Please receive this as the blessing of God. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And together let us sing.